For our scripture reading today, if you would open up your copy of scripture to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. We'll be continuing our study through the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 19 will be our portion for today. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in the questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. All right, I'll get this out of the way right away. This is awkward for you, and it's awkward for me. So we're just going to put it up with it together, and after a while, hopefully you'll get used to it. I know I seem a little shorter. <laughs> Hi. Okay, I'm here. I am privileged to be back with you today. I am so thankful. Um, it's, been a, it's been a long process, and uh, I don't think I've gone... It's been since I was in college, that I probably went a month without preaching, and so I'm very thankful to be here uh, with you this morning. I do want to encourage you to be back this evening um, and to hear uh, Bobby speak. Uh, I've known Bobby since college, and uh, we've, we've known each other a long time. You may have noticed, uh, especially those of you who went with us to Uruguay, you may have noticed some familiar faces in, that, in his video. Uh, and all of you should have recognized that, or part of our church should have recognized one face, and that was Jerry Glass was in that video. Uh, Jerry is one of our missionaries, and so uh, it's, it's neat to see the connection there as uh, missionaries interact. Take your Bibles, as Will just read, and turn to Colossians uh, chapter 2, and uh, that's where we're going to be looking this morning. I do want to begin with a word of prayer. God, I do pray that you will help us as we look at this passage, help me. Uh, Lord, this is uh, uncomfortable, this is different, Uh, but Lord, I pray it help it to not distract from what you have for us, because you do have some great truths for us today. Lord, I do pray that you help every person to be uh, attentive, to see this text and and what it has for us, because I think it can speak to all of us if we allow it to. Lord, I thank you again for this opportunity. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. Let me ask you a simple question. How many of you, when you were young, got picked on? Okay, some of you are young, so maybe you don't want to answer that. But uh, I'm not asking this question to bring up old hurts and bitterness and, or, or, or for you to uh, you know, bring up anything where you want to go and get revenge. But do you remember those times? Maybe you were made fun of because of some physical quality you had, like, I'll just say it right now, like I was made fun of when I was a kid because I have a big head. Yes, I have a big head. That's who I am. Maybe you were made fun of because something you did. Maybe one day in class you were walking in front of the whole class and you tripped and you looked ridiculous and everyone made fun of you. Maybe you were made fun of by a group of people and it was just joking and they loved you, but they just would kid with you a lot. Maybe you had a group of friends who were sarcastic and 
and constantly did that. But maybe you had just one person that always was bothering you. They harassed you. They made fun of you. They made you feel like you were nothing. We call these people bullies. Sometimes they think bullies bully intentionally. They mean to. Other times they think bullies bully because they don't even know they're doing it. In the next two weeks, I want to look at this passage in chapter 2, verse 16 down to verse 23. And I want to talk to you about spiritual bullies in the church. They aren't like bullies that we talked about. They're not out trying to hurt you physically or, or they're not trying to steal your lunch money. But they are people in the church who set themselves to intimidate others by manipulating in order so that it makes themselves look better and so that they are seen as more godly or more holy or whatever the case may be. I'm not really talking about individuals. I'm just talking about a, a way of thinking. And I believe sometimes it's done intentionally. Maybe it's done for the right motives, but with a wrong understanding. And that's what we want to look at today. Now, just to summarize, if you look at Colossians chapter 2, Pastor Nate preached verses 8 down to verse 15. In verse 8, Paul was bringing up the main reason, or one of the main reasons why he wrote this book. He says in verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. We've been talking about all through Colossians how Colossians was primarily written because there was false teachers that were influencing this church in some way, and they were trying to get them to do things or think things that were not biblical, and so Paul is addressing that. Then, in verses 9 through 15, that Pastor Nate looked at uh, last week, we saw that he, he then began to talk about the alternative to this wrong way of thinking, and that is we are in Christ. What does that mean? We have everything we need in Christ. He talked about uh, how the circumcision of the heart, the, the baptism, how we are in Christ, and therefore, because of that, we don't need anything else. We are sufficient in Christ. So then, what he wants to do here then in this section is begin to address what exactly these false teachers that he talked about in verse 8, what exactly were they teaching? That's what we want to get into. These false teachers were like bullies. And Paul is out to warn this church, and and in turn, I'm out to warn us as as believers to be careful because what he's saying is, is these bullies are out there and we have to know that they're present. Now, I believe that the message of the bullies today are different than that was to the church at Colossae. But still, nonetheless, it's still important. It's still something we need to watch out for in, in our life. And I, I want to talk about one today, and next week we're going to talk about a different one. The one I want to focus on today is, is the bully of legalism. Now, as soon as I say that word, suddenly we have all sorts of different responses in this room. That term legalism has been thrown around many times, sometimes in wrong ways, sometimes in detrimental ways. What is it? What is legalism? I think many times we don't even see legalism as, as, as a problem the way Paul is addressing. He's addressing this as a major problem, and we sometimes don't see it that way because we see, hey, this person who has these high standards and high rules, man, they're just more godly than I am. And Paul is saying, hey, I want you to watch out because your mindset here is wrong. 
Twice in this text, in fact, in verse that, that Pastor Will just read, in verse 16 and in verse 18, twice he tells them, beware, watch out, because they're trying to judge you. But what exactly is legalism? Some would say, wrongly, I might add, some would say that legalism is having any sort of standards in your life. I was a youth pastor for 15 years, and oftentimes I heard that. Young people would come to me and say, why is there a dress code? Why is there this? Why do we do this? You're so legalistic. No, that's not the case. In fact, the Bible is full of rules and regulations. So legalism is not rules and regulations. In fact, I want to take it even a step further. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples was proof that they loved God? If you keep my commandments if you keep my rules, if you keep my standards. And so legalism is not just simply having rules in your life. Legalism, as Webster defined it, is this, a dependence on a moral law rather than a personal religious faith. In other words, legalism relies on what I do, not who I am inside. And so really what it comes down to, legalism is a, is a heart of pride arrogance about who we are. A legalist is one who intentionally or unintentionally takes great pride in the fact that they keep laws, that they keep commandments, that they, they have better standards than other people. That, they pride themselves on that. And sometimes their laws and standards are man-made and sometimes they're from God. But still, they pride themselves in that. In some cases, I think legalists feel that the only way they'll really be accepted by God is if they follow those external sets of, of rules. An external religion leads to pride. And what we're going to talk about is the alternative, is holding fast to God uh, is what we need to do, and it leads to growth. We've been talking this entire year about growth, and this is an important topic in that. Now, in this text, there are four verses we're going to look at, and really, I want you to notice something, and we'll talk about this, verses 16 and 17 and verses 18 and 19. Those two sets of verses are almost like copies of each other. In, in, in each case, what he does in the first part is he says, here's a command not to do, and then here's a better alternative. And he does that in both sets. And so we're going to look at it in that way. So really, this is a really easy outline because I'm going to have two points. The first one is the command, the negative. Don't do this. And the second one is the positive. Here's what you should do instead. So let's look at these different things. First of all, the first one is the negative. Do not let anyone hold you to a man-made standard of holiness. Do not let anyone hold you to a man-made standard of holiness. I think legalism is a scheme of Satan because it appears to be good, but it distracted us from what's really important, that's our walk with God. I want to look at two different commands as long, along with this. First of all, do not submit to legalistic judgment. Notice verse 16. He says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. See, what was happening was these false teachers were, were being the judge. Hey, hey, you did this. Hey, hey, you did this wrong. They were doing that over and over again. Verse 18, he echoes that. Look what he says in verse 18. Let no one disqualify you. I'll talk more about that in a minute. But let no one disqualify you. In both cases, they are making themselves the judge. Now, I want to pause here for a moment because as pastor, I've heard this many times. Christians will say, don't judge me. And I want to caution you on that because we sometimes think that anytime anyone judges us, 
that they're wrong because the Bible says, judge not lest you be judged. Passages like this where he says, don't let people judge you. But I also want you to understand that when we look in Scripture, there are so many places in Scripture where the Bible tells us as believers to correct and point out transgressions against the law by other believers. So what is the distinction that I'm trying to make here? We're not talking about clear standards of of God. If someone is doing something that is clearly a, a violation of the commandments of God, it is our responsibility to go and help encourage them. What we're talking about here is areas where God left it to our discernment. God did not come down and say, thou shalt not kill. Uh, I mean, he did. But what I'm saying is is these are areas where it's not a straight command. It's uh, uh, God says, okay, I'm I'm giving you discernment to discern what is right and wrong. We need to not, uh, and this passage, he's saying, don't let people pass judgment on you. Now, there's a reason why, and we'll get to that in a minute. So back to our text. He tells them, Uh, not to let them judge. Now, what were they specifically being judged on? Look at the passage. Verse 16, he said, Do not let them pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or in regards to the festival or the new moon or the Sabbath. And first of all, it's something to do with the dietary laws. We're not exactly sure what these laws were or even uh, if they were laws given by God or man. We don't know. The scripture doesn't give us enough of that to to really know. Uh, And I really don't think this is the point, actually. And so I'm not going to even dwell on it. Paul deals with those type of topics in other books that he wrote, Romans and Corinthians, and he talks about that. So we're not talking about that here. What he's saying here is, don't let them judge you on these these things. We can relate that to ourselves here in a minute. The point is, is that these standards were set up by these teachers, and they were using them as an avenue to judge others who were not as good as them, who didn't appear as holy as them. Uh, We do the same thing today. Um, Let me give you an example that I hope doesn't offend anyone because I'm trying to pick something that hopefully no one here, it's an issue. Let's say, for example, you personally, as you read through Scripture, somehow you came to the conclusion that God commands all of us to be vegetarians. Now, if you're a vegetarian in here, great. I'm not not condemning you. But let's say you came to that clear-cut conclusion But the reality is, as I've studied Scripture, there is nowhere in Scripture that says we should be vegetarians. So it's not a clear-cut command from God. But this person says, hey, I think I should be a vegetarian. I think God tells me to be a vegetarian. But yet they can now take that and hold all of us to that same standard. Well, you're not a vegetarian, so you're not pleasing God. And that's what was happening here. Now, let me say this, though. For that individual, if they feel God wants them to be a vegetarian, it would be wrong for them not to be, but they cannot hold us to the same standard. Otherwise, they would be legalistic. And that is what is being talked about. Now, Paul then goes on and he says about these special days. It's not just the diet. He says these special days. Now, now most scholars believe that these, this, these phrases here prove that these false teachers were probably Jewish or trained in Jewish teaching because these are all Jewish holidays. He says, first of all, these, uh, in this passage, the, uh, the, the festivals, uh, this would refer to the yearly festivals such as Passover and there's, there's many others. The new moons, this was something that uh, they would, once a month, they would, uh, would acknowledge. And then obviously the Sabbath is the, the weekly day of worship. I do want to pause again for a moment and talk about that. The, uh, some say we still are to worship on the Sabbath. 
uh, which is Saturday. I don't believe that's, uh, we see that in Scripture. And others say that since the law was abolished, that there is no allegiance to the Sabbath, um, and the Sabbath has been changed to Sunday. Uh, let me just make a couple comments on that. First of all, the Bible tells us this, okay? The Bible tells us not to forsake gathering together. The Bible also tells us that God created the earth in six days and on the seventh day he rests, which I believe would imply that God thinks it's a wise idea to have a day to set ourselves apart, to worship him and to rest. And so when you put those two together and we see in the, in the New Testament that the early church would, work, uh, would, would worship on what they called the Lord's Day, which is Sunday, um, I do believe that it's, it's valid for us to meet on Sunday, but I do not think that there is any Sabbath commands for us today. So I wanted to make that clear. Anyway, when we continue on, we see all of these things that they're talking about may have been required by the Old Testament law, but again, they may not have been. They may have been things that they added. But I want to say this, because all of these things are not bad things. In fact, all of these things were in the Old Testament in some shape or form, uh, and, and there was a purpose to them. All of these things were to point to something better. We even see that in this passage. Look what it says. Verse 16, we read. Verse 17, these, that's referring to the, the food and drink requirements. That's referred to these festivals, the new moons, the Sabbaths. These are a shadow of things to come but the substance belongs to Christ. Now, I'm going to talk about this more in my second point, but I just want to uh, explain a little bit what he means here. Let me ask you this question. What do you prefer more? The shadow of something that you love or the thing you love? Let me, let me give you an illustration of that. There's a, there's a young couple. Okay, They've been dating for a couple years. They love each other. They love being together. Uh, they they they're, when they're not together, they're texting each other constantly, you know, video chatting all the time they can. And for whatever reason, the, the young man has to go somewhere for two months. I mean, it's like torture to be apart, right? And finally the day comes and he arrives back and he's coming to her house and, and she comes outside to meet him and he comes up and he's so excited and he runs up and he, and he looks and, and he sees her shadow and he jumps in the shadow and said, I missed you so much. <laughs> You'd be like, that is just, something's wrong with that young man. But that's what these false teachers were doing. Paul is saying they're holding on to this shadow and here's the substance. It's Jesus. You know, shadow is immaterial, right? But the idea of substance is it has form. We'll get to that more later. But the point was that these legalists were setting up these extra-biblical, or even in some cases, biblical laws that were no longer applicable and, and, and using them to judge others. Their emphasis was on the external and not the heart before God. Their emphasis was on what they did and not their attitude in their heart. So it allows for a person in a church if we follow the same type of mindset, it allows for a person who at home is a jerk to his wife and nasty to her. But he's okay because he comes to church and wears a suit and sings the songs and passes the offering plate around. 
maybe even teaches Sunday school. But he's okay. It allows for an external religion. In fact, so much so that these guys here were themselves extremely carnal. Look what it says down in verse 18. It says at the very end, and we'll get into this in more detail, but he says he's puffed up with reason by his sensual mind. They were carnal, but yet they held to these rules. It's very similar to how Jesus viewed the the Pharisees. Look what Jesus said about these Pharisees in Matthew. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and cumin and have neglected, dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. He said, You you did what was okay, it wasn't wrong, but you did it at neglect of these things that were much more important the inner characters of the heart. You know, many times a legalist is the type of person will judge someone because, you know, they, they went to a movie or, or, or they, they drank alcohol or they have a tattoo or they don't wear a suit on Sunday. But it's not about the heart. I remember one time a number of years ago I was told uh, that I, there was no way I could set a good example as a youth pastor because I had a beard. And it wasn't Christ-like. And I thought, actually, no, Christ had a beard. <laughs> Somehow it was this legalistic mindset. You've got to have this certain thing, and if you don't, well, you're, just, you're a problem. And when these, when these lists of standards in our mind equal holiness, we're in danger of legalism. The second part of that, and this is what it leads to, is, is, is legalism leads to pride. Do not give in to the pride of legalism. Verse 18, look what he says there, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, the worship of angels, going, in, uh, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensual mind. Now, uh, one commentator, uh, Dr. Uh, Doug Moo, says this is probably the most difficult of all of the verses in Colossians to, to interpret. And so I want to look at these in kind of phrases um, and some will dwell on more than others. Uh, first of all, he says, let no one disqualify you. What does he mean by that? Well, first of all, he's using an athletic term, okay? And, and in other words, what he's saying is these guys were making themselves the referees, okay? A sporting referee. They were the ones that were saying, hey, I'm in charge. Don't mess with me. Don't don't argue with me. Don't question me. Uh, I'm the one that makes the rules. And if you argue, I'm going to kick you out of my game. That's what these guys were doing. He's, and Paul's saying, don't let people do that. They, they were the type, I mean, how many of you remember when you were a kid, okay, and uh, you, you go to the playground, or maybe it's at school. I, I remember at, when I was a kid, we'd go out to the playground, and we always, I mean, there wasn't a recess where we didn't play sports. We'd go out for recess, and we'd play sports, and there was always, it, usually it was the, the alpha male of the playground that made the rules, you know, and we'd be playing a game, and he'd be like, no, that's not the rule. When did it change? I just changed it. And you didn't do it, so you're disqualified. And that's what these guys are doing. Saying, hey, we're setting the rules. We're deciding. These are our standards. If you don't follow them, then you've got a problem. And I think what it comes down to, though, is they, they were filled with pride because they thought they knew the standard and the rules. 
Paul goes on and he says this next. He says, insisting, they were insisting, notice that word, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels. What is he talking about there? I really don't want to spend a long time on this for a couple of reasons. First of all, we're going to talk about asceticism next week. But worship of angels, neither of these phrases really greatly impact the uh, meaning of this verse. Okay? They, they help us to understand what was going on, but uh, when we talk about the, 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 the context, the meaning, it, they don't. But I, I'll get into just briefly. First of all, uh, asceticism here is in simple terms the, the severe self-discipline uh, or, or avoiding indulgences for religious purposes. It's the idea of, uh, 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 I'm going to deny myself as much as I can. It's uh, the idea of a monk. Okay? I'm going to deny myself as much as I can for religious reasons so that uh, I, I am more godly. But they were doing it in a greater way. In fact, some Bible translations, instead of asceticism, use the idea of the false humility. That's what it was. A false humility. Um, they took great pride in the fact that they didn't do certain things. It wasn't about holiness. It was about appearance. They took great pride in that. And I think there are people who do the same thing today. We take great pride in the fact that we do this or we do that. Or I don't do that. I would never do that. And therefore, why we're, what we're saying when we say that is anyone who does is not pleasing to God. In our mind, and we're the judge. And so if someone comes to church and they don't dress the way you think that they should dress... That is not a, a, a demanded thing in Scripture, but you put them in that. You suddenly have just uh, made yourself the judge. And they, they had a problem with that. And it says they were, were the practice of angel worship. There's numerous, numerous theories on what this means. Uh, I, I think that it could mean anything from some, some would say that uh, they, they were worshiping angels because they were trying to fight off demons. I, I, I don't know. Uh, some would say it was that they believed that the angels were the mediator between God and man. Uh, but, but probably uh, the idea of all of this was really a matter of pride. Hey, we, we are so holy, we, we worship angels. And maybe even to the sense of, uh, we aren't good enough to go to God, that false humility, and so we go to angels. Either way, it was again pride, and it was, by doing so though, what were they doing? They were, they were attacking the sufficiency of Christ as our mediator, and that's what we've been talking about through this whole book, is the sufficiency of Christ. Christ is all we need. And even the next phrase going on about visions, Oh, I had this vision, and they're going around and going, hey, have you had a vision? Oh, you haven't had a vision? Something wrong with you. You must not be godly. I have them all the time. Just last night I had a doozy. You want to hear about it? And that's what they were doing. They were, they were just going on about this, and again, it's a matter of pride. And it's the, the way of the legalist is, I have done this and that. Look at who I am. And what Paul is saying is to these people, number one, first of all, is do not let anyone pass judgment on you in this way. Don't let it happen. But secondly, 
And this is the more important one, so I want you to dwell on this. If you're just going to get out of here, well, every time anyone judges me, I'm going to put them in their place, then you're missing it, okay? Because this is the more important one. He says, do hold fast to Christ the head. Verse 19, look there. Now, Paul here puts it in the negative. He's saying that because they did all this, because they held to their, their, their um, legalistic ideas, they were not holding on to Christ in the head. But I want to turn it the other way around, is that if we're saying no to the legalists, then we're also going to hold on to Christ in the head. He says, and, that do not hold, and, and not holding fast to the head from which the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. We have spent much time in the book of Colossians between myself and Pastor Nate and Pastor Will talking in the book of Colossians about the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. Christ is overall, Christ is all we need. And Paul was building this up to defeat this legalistic way of thinking. And we have to, in our mind, put aside this, this, this hold that we have on rules and standards. Again, I am not saying we shouldn't have rules and standards. They're throughout Scripture. But what I am offering you is a better alternative. And that is to hold on to Christ. And hold on to him for dear life. See, because Christ, number one, is the substance. We saw that in that verse and. And it's, these things are all shadows. The rules and regulations of the Old Testament, they were shadows and they were holding on to it. But Christ is the substance. Christ is it. Nothing else matters. Remember, these were not sins that Paul was mentioning. These were not bad things. It's not sin to control your diet and, and drink consumption. It's not sin to observe a, a holy day. It's not that he's telling them to stop doing religious things. But it's not what matters most. Paul is not telling them to throw off standards. We need to have standards. But what he's saying is this. Embrace the substance, which is Jesus Christ. And I believe this, that when we embrace the substance, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit will guide us. He'll guide our conscience to follow his standards. But you know what that might mean? That might mean your standards are different than mine. And it might mean my standards are different than someone else's. But we allow, instead of, uh, instead of our mindset to dictate, we allow the Holy Spirit to guide now, there are many people who have used that as an excuse to sin, and that's not right. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to guide us. And what he is saying here in this is let go of that desire to hold on to your rules and your regulations and grab onto Christ. That's what matters. So here, you're here today and you came to church, and amen, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful you're here, and continue to do it again and again. But if, if you're here because it's commanded or because it's an obligation, if that's what you think, you're hugging a shadow. Unfortunately, we do it all the time. Maybe that you're, you're hugging a shadow of your Bible reading plan instead of building a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're hugging a shadow of how you dress so that you look like a Christian 
Instead, we should embrace loving God so much that we want to dress to please him. There are Christ-pleasing standards of modesty and appropriateness. But that might not be the same for all of us. I mean, if you come in here next Sunday and, you know, you're wearing a t-shirt that says something, you know, inappropriate, okay, you probably have missed out on, <laughs> on what God's asking of you. But you know what? Your level of, of, of dressing in a way that is pleasing to God is, might be different than someone else's. It may be that for you, you know, a, a suit and tie is, is, is what, what your standard of dress is, but it might be for someone else that jeans and a polo is. And that's okay. And we've got to understand that. Because what he's saying here is embrace your relationship with God. Embrace it. And put aside your desire to hold to these rules and traditions. You can maybe hug shadows of other things. Maybe you hug shadows of your tr- church traditions or, you know, or, or music or other things, but instead embrace Christ and allow him to guide you. Secondly, the bonds with the church nourishes the believers. So the first part is, is embrace Christ. But then we see in verse 19, he begins to talk more about what this is, holding fast to the head. The basic idea in verse 19 is Paul is telling them that the result of this legalistic and proud way of thinking was they lost connection with the head, which was Jesus Christ. They lost connection. They no longer had a relationship with Jesus Christ. It was about rules and regulations, and, and so there was no, no life there. And really, here's the great part. We can take comfort. We can take comfort in the fact that uh, when we have a relationship with the head, uh, there's comfort in this. Sometimes we're going to fail. And, and you know what? We will fail, but we're not rejected. If, it's, if, you're, if you're all about the rules and regulations and you break one, guess what? You're in trouble. But if you're about a relationship with Jesus Christ, you break one and you go, I was wrong, God, and I am sorry. God says, I forgive you. I'll continue on. Because we're a part of the head. But then, as we're joined to the head, as it goes on in this passage, it says we're also connected to the other parts of the body, meaning other believers in the church. And, and, and notice what it says there. It says that you, in, in verse 19, he says, you're connected, you're nourished, you're knit together through its joints and ligaments. Now, I have to tell you something. As I was studying this text, one day I was looking through this verse and I literally started laughing. I mean, God has a great sense of humor. I've read this verse many times in my life, but here's the first time I'm standing before you as your pastor since I had surgery on my Achilles tendon. And God says we're joined together with ligaments, which are tendons. I thought, wow, what a great object lesson this is. It's a perfect object lesson. If we do not stay connected to the head, we fall apart. However, it's also essential that we stay connected to the church. And I've heard it the, long, the, the hard way. A tendon or a joint that's not doing its job impacts the whole body. Okay? I, I tore my Achilles tendon. Yeah, I feel like at times, like um, I can't do anything. Okay? Some of you watched me come walking up those steps. And, you know, steps didn't used to be a problem for me, and suddenly it is. Why? Because one part is not functioning. And the idea of this is this. We all work together. 
towards that common goal of holding on to the head. And when there's one in that body who says, you know what, though? I'm more about these rules and regulations. Suddenly, it's like a pulled tendon. And the rest of the body's limping along. We're trying, but it's harder. You know, I, I was amazed after I got hurt. Walking upstairs, I'd get to the top of the stairs, and I'm dripping in sweat. It's a lot harder work. And I think the point that Paul is trying to make here is that as we interact together and as we come together as a church, we learn and we support each other. We hang on to each other. We have this goal of holding on to Jesus Christ together. We love Christ together. We interact, and sometimes there are parts of the body that are weaker than others, and we have to, we've got to hold on to it, and, and we have to do our part to strengthen it. Now, I do not believe Paul's main point here was that we help each other grow, but what I do believe his main point here is that we are commonly connected to the head, and when we do that, that's when we grow. You know, Paul said something very similar in Ephesians when he said this, rather speaking the truth in love, that we grow up in every way in him, into, uh, who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in, in love. When we are going to function properly as a church is when we are interacting with each other. That means when we're encouraging, when we're supporting each other. When we come alongside of a brother or a sister who has done something that is clearly against the word of God. And we encourage them, not judge, encourage, uplift. And when we put aside our, our, our differences for our common goal. And when that happens... Paul says, then consistent growth comes. We've been talking about growth all year, and look what it says at the end of verse 19, which grows, grows with a growth that is from God. This is not speaking of a growth of the number of our church. This is speaking of the, the growth of the members of the body as they hold on to the head and they interact with the rest of the body. I think the ultimate condemnation of these legalists is in that, that phrase when he says there, this growth that comes where? From God. It's not from holding on to rules and standards. It's from God. So I'm closing just a couple things. First of all, first and, fos- and most important is we need to stay connected to God. How do we do that? We do that through Bible reading. We do that through prayer. We do that through coming to church, interacting. We do it through coming to Sunday school, coming Sunday night, coming to growth group on Wednesday. We get in the Word. That is one of the reasons why we started growth groups because we feel that that it's not just about sitting and hearing the Word penetrate into our mind, but it's about interacting together and studying the Word together that we see growth. So stay connected to God through the study of the word. And then secondly and finally, fight those wrong attitudes of legalism that is in every one of us. In some way, shape, or form, we all have them. It's there. We've got to fight it. We've got to fight it. Okay? I'm going to put that off. And I'm, I'm going to 
hold on to Christ. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for you and we're grateful for all that you teach us. Um, Lord, this is a, is a struggle for many people and I know many of them, they don't want to be. They're, they're, they, it's something they, but it's hard. It's a mindset. It's a way of thinking. And Lord, I pray that you'll help us to change our mindset and way of thinking so that what truly matters is not about us, but about Jesus Christ. Lord, I just pray you'll help us to honor you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.